Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of New Caribbean Voices, People Tree Press's literary podcast featuring the best literature from the Caribbean region and diaspora. My name is Malaika Booker and I am the curator and host for this podcast series. Today I'll be speaking to the non-fiction writer J. Edward Chamberlain and we'll be speaking about his seminal text, Come Back to Me, My Language, Poetry in the West Indies, a book that was published 25 years ago um, and is now a new addition to the Caribbean modern classics. Later on in the podcast, I'll be speaking to a gathering of poets sitting in People Tree Press's office, preparing and waiting to perform at the inaugural Leeds Poetry Festival in that evening. Yeah, it's unusual to have all those poets and fiction writers in one place. So we'll be getting to talk to them and to get a snippet of the work. And so you'll get an insight into what the performance will be like later. And I suppose the kind of diversity of voices that People Tree Press publish. So it's my delight to interview J. Edward Chamberlain about um, his book, Come Back to Me, My Language, Poetry in the West Indies. J. Edward Chamberlain is a university professor emeritus of English and Comparative Literature at the University in Toronto. He's published and lectured widely on literature and poetry and Aboriginal rights. He's the author of many books, including the prize-winning If This Is Your Land, Where Are Your Stories?, Finding Common Ground, which was a finalist in the Pearson Writers' Trust Award. His other books include The Harrowing of Eden, White Attitudes Towards Native Americans, and Horse, How the Horse Has Shaped Civilizations. He lives with his wife, Lorna Goodison, in Half Moon Bay, British Columbia. Interestingly enough, I was able to visit J. Edward Chamberlain and Lorna Goodison at their hotel where I interviewed him. He was in Leeds visiting for a launching of the book at Leeds University. There's an incident in the, in the interview where, as happens when you're interviewing, your memory kind of starts to, to wander. And so we hear um, delightfully his wife Lorna kind of given a prompt. Ladies and gentlemen, J. Edward Chamberlain. People Tree Press have just published the um, in the Caribbean Modern series the um, the book "Come Back to Me: My Language, Poetry, and the West Indies." I'm fortunate to be here with J. Edward Chamberlain, speaking to him this morning to be able to talk to him about this seminal text. Um, what I'd like to ask is. Um, Tell us a bit about the project and what motivated you to conduct this research, this extensive research. Well, it, it really began, I was doing uh, poetry chronicles for the Hudson Review in New York during the 70s, uh, fairly regularly. And among the books that came uh, to my attention uh, that I reviewed in 1973, Seamus Heaney's Wintering Out, with its uh, extraordinary uh, move towards trying to uh, transform the, the, the Civil War of the Troubles uh, into, um, into lyric poetry. Uh, and in it, he 
celebrates his homeland, which he's about to leave, his homeland, Northern Ireland, to go south to the Republic. Uh, and in doing so, he picks up some very local words um, that need a gloss uh, for any reader, or for most readers, I should say, not for a Northern Irish reader. He calls them shy little parish words, uh, the words of local speech, of local language, and the words that for him uh, confirm his sense of place um, and confirm in many ways the politics of place. Um, he, one of the phrases he uses elsewhere is uh, trying to negotiate between territorial piety and imperial power. The imperial power of the English language and of its literary traditions um, in which he was well versed and uh, of which he it was in great admiration going back to Milton and Shakespeare um, and, uh, and of course, King James Version of the Bible. Another book that came a couple of years later was Derek Walcott's um, uh, book, Sea Grapes. And in it, he has one long series um, of, of poems under the general title St. Lucie, um, St. Lucia, his home island, uh, and it, at one point laments the loss of his own use uh, by himself of, of, um, of some of the local words and says, come back to me my language. Um, uh, and, and in doing so, sort of identifies his um, relationship to that language is there that I born, he said, uh, St. Lucie. Um, and that attention to local language, that um, transforming the language um, of speech into the language of poetry uh, was something that fascinated me as a, uh, as a literary scholar. It fascinated me because it was going on elsewhere around the world. Uh, it fascinated me in particular because the indigenous peoples that I've been working with and have worked with for the last half century um, also are dealing with losses of language and the attempt to recover it and to use it uh, to shape their imaginary, their sense of um, place, their sense of their people. And I thought you know, it would be very interesting to uh, open up the question. Uh, and I knew anyway um, from the other reading I'd done in, the, in, in that decade, in the 70s, uh, how much writing in the West Indies was taken up with questions of language. Kamal Brathwaite placed a great emphasis on what he called nation language, not a single nation, but the nation characterized by the, the, a people's sense of their place, but also of their independence, of their autonomy, um, of their particular character. And what triggered the focus on the West Indies was also a, uh, a, a period that I spent in 1984 in Australia where I uh, was working with Aboriginal communities and, and with the Aboriginal writers and they were trying to do what James Heaney talked about and what 
Derek Walcott talked about and what West Indian writers were were participating in creating. Um, and one of the things that had inspired them was a book from the West Indies, a long, long, the other side of the world, a book by Michael Thelwell, uh, the novel The Harder They Come, taken from the film. One of the very few times uh, a novel has followed rather than preceded the film, it's an extraordinary novel in which the, the language of the Rude Boys and Rastafari comes into the center of the text. The Australian people I was talking to had read it and they thought, wow, this is extraordinary. We can do this too. And it, it, that brought me back to the West Indies uh, to spend some time, to take some time to explore the things they were doing in poetry um, from the 80s uh, was when I started the project. I was going back, of course, uh, certainly to the times of independence in the 60s uh, and often before that, right up through to the period when the book was published, which was 1993. So this new edition that People Tree has beautifully brought out um, is a 25th anniversary edition of that, that first uh, publication. And the book has is, is, is got... Um a vast array of poets from, you know, Michael Smith to Amy Césaire um, to Kendall Hibberlite to Derek Walcott, Claude McKay. Um, was it complicated? Kind and of? Lorna Goodison. And Lorna Goodison, of yeah. course, yes, uh, who is one of my favourite poets. So Mine too. <laughs> that oversight was slap wrist. Um, was it complicated um, getting that rich array of poets and any any anecdotes that you have in terms of interviewing any particular. Well, I um, co it was complicated in the sense it took ten years to write the book, uh, but that's not unusual for uh, you know, serious scholarly studies. Um, I wanted to make the book though readable um, by the people who were reading poetry, and that. It takes a lot of work to 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 uh, make it sound as though it comes naturally. <laughs> uh, that's uh, and that's what I wanted it to sound like. The interviewing of the poets, the talking with poets, um, just took a good part of those those probably seven or eight years until I was into the the drafting of the of the text. Um, the thing that overwhelmed me um, was the kindness and the generosity of poets both very well known, like Lorna Goodison and, and uh, Derek Walcott, although Lorna Goodison wasn't as well known then as she certainly is now. Um, and some of the poets hadn't written much. Um, they welcomed me, they talked to me. I, it's not a, the subtitle of the book is Poetry in the West Indies. So it's come back to me, my language, Poetry in the West Indies. And I chose that title because it's a book about poetry, not about poets. So I was not focused on um, the lives of the poets, um, to use an old phrase of Samuel Johnson's. I was focused on the poetry that they were writing and the relationship between various strands of poetry in the West Indies. So uh, I didn't spend a lot of time interviewing poets. In fact, I spent very little time interviewing poets. I spent an overwhelming amount of time reading poets, reading everything, everything I could put my hands on, published and in many cases not yet published. Um, and uh, 
that was where the that was where the time went. Right. And and yesterday I was. And, and I should say, in listening to some of the dub poets that were coming along, the uh, the uh, Mikey Smith, I never had the privilege of hearing um, during his life, I, I, but I've certainly heard many of the tapes and recordings of him. Um, yes, Muda was late. late in, Muda came along late in, in my work. Linton Johnson. Um, um, the um, some of the poets like Bongo Jerry who were uh, working right at, during that period, um, Oku Onora, um, others. And um, my last kind of question for you before I most pop- I ask you to read an excerpt. I was privileged to to hear you um, read. Um, from the book and talk about the book yesterday um, where you were at the um, Leeds University in their poet- reading as part of their Poetry Centre series. Um, and one of the questions that came to you in terms of um, how from, from the literary, from the students was um, in terms of how we think about literary criticism um, and how the, the, they found it really fascinating and wonderful that the book is so um, transparent, so, um, so I suppose delicately observed, but also very much that the lay reader can read it. Um, and you spoke at length about the person who influenced you um, in terms of writing in this style, in this way of speaking, and, and also the job of the, the critic, what they sh- that they should bring us back to reading the poem. Yeah, and I yeah. wanted to, to kind of end with that before you read from the book. Sure. The, uh, the 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 man the person I mentioned that influenced me was um, the person who taught me and became a very good friend later um, at the University of Toronto where I took my um, did my doctoral work and where I ended up teaching for 40 years and the, the person was Northrop Fry a great literary critic and a wonderful writer uh, and a, a writer committed to taking us back to the poetry I think of him right now. In particular, because uh, one of his great books is called *Fearful Symmetry*, and it's about William Blake, and we're going to go to the Blake exhibition uh, in London uh, in a couple of days, uh, and he brought me back to Blake to reading Blake, which is no small thing. Uh, I was trying to get readers back to reading the poems, uh, not, uh, not, not, not. Uh, through me, but for themselves. Mm. And I think one of the, 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 the most important things you said yesterday is that um, you wanted to get readers, is, is, is the criticism, is you have, to, you have to engage with poems that you love and that you, you know, that you got rid of poems that you didn't like, because when you engage with poets you love, then you can, the reader can feel it in a way and then yeah, come, yeah. then go and find that poet. And certainly, you, you're right, I, I do talk about um, several dozen poets in the book. They were all poets I admire. Mm. Some I, uh, um, for me, um, were more uh, uh, accomplished, but all of them are poets that caught my attention. And all of them were poets who, in their own way, through their their voice would come through, uh, and so would the music of the poems. The music of those poems, it could be in rhythm, it uh, could be in patterning of sound, uh, was very important to me and has been very important in West Indian poetry. Indeed, it's very important uh, in all poetry. 
Um, and I'd like to end actually this interview with asking you to read um, an excerpt from. from I'd be pleased to. I'm going to read from the beginning of the book, um, which uh, starts like this. Slavery shaped the West Indies. It was expensive and inconvenient and presented considerable problems of governance, but nobody came up with an alternative, especially for the production of sugar. The desires and the anxieties of the European colonizers in turn shaped slavery through the institutions that developed for establishing civil and religious order in the region and for promoting its economic prosperity. During the 350 years of slavery in the West Indies, Africans with a rich and ancient inheritance were transported with brutal force thousands of miles from home to strange islands in the middle of a strange sea. They were separated from their families and friends and from others who spoke their language, cast out and closed in and burdened by doubt and disbelief about who they were and where they belonged and put to work in conditions in which their very humanity was barely acknowledged and routinely brutalized. This has been the legacy of enslavement and even though slavery itself was abolished over 150 years ago throughout the West Indies, it lived on in the memories of West Indians, producing testaments not only to cynicism and despair, but also to the hope and possibility that has emerged out of those harrowing nights. Out of the dark, the choir of light, in the words of the poet Tony McNeil. For slavery, even as it haunted their nightmares, also inspired West Indian dreams of individual freedom and collective independence. That was J. Edward Chamberlain and I in conversation about this book, which is fascinating. I'm in the middle of reading it and I'm, I'm, I love it. I love the attention that he pays to the poems and the fact that you're learning about this writer and you're looking and investigating the poems. And the book makes you want to go out and read the writers, the other, you know, other works by the poets featured. Interestingly, for a book that was researched from the 80s onwards and looking back to sometimes the 60s, it's interesting to note how much of the writers featured go on to be the the vanguard of um, and the at the forefront of building a kind of Caribbean literary um, legacy. Speaking about Caribbean literature and giants who shape our literature, it seems only apt in this kind of podcast to actually move from a text celebrating and illuminating the work of Caribbean poets um, and shaping a literary canon to a younger generation of poets and novelists who are carrying on that legacy. In 2019, People Treat Press celebrated 34 years, their 34 years anniversary. And um, as such, they were invited to perform at the opening event at the Leeds Literary Festival. Yeah, this was going to be the first Leeds Festival. As we sat in the office and I looked around at everybody and remembered that, you know, I would be curating and presenting this podcast, it seemed a waste to just not capture all of those writers in the room. So I'm going to be speaking to... The gathering of poets and novelists and fiction writers in the room, and um, you get a preview of their feelings about Pikachu Press and their work. Good afternoon, everybody. We're here um, on the People's Reads podcast called 
New Caribbean Voices, celebrating 34 years of People Tree Press. I'm here with a motley crew of writers. The only thing holding them together in the room is they're published by People Tree. They look different. They're from different places, different parts of Britain. How are you all feeling? Good. 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 So we're lining. Um, I'm here with Degna Stone, with Nick McCall, with Seni Seni Varatni, with Roger Robinson, Desiree Reynolds, Jacqueline Bishop, Anthony Joseph, and of course, the head honcho, the person who runs things in other place, um, Jeremy Pointing. I'm going to start with Jeremy. Um, People Tree Press, 34 years. Yeah. How are you feeling? Old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we, we're glad to see these years come round. And, but I to say that, that we never began this as a kind of anniversary celebration. We began this really because Leeds Festival said, can you do something for us? And it's, you know, a situation where a big city like Leeds has never had a literature festival, which is a bit disgraceful, really, for a city this size. So, you know, we, we were keen to support the, the effort and we're very grateful for all, all the writers who are making the effort to come and join us. But we can celebrate 34 years as well. And what do you, why did you choose these um, wonderful people in the room? Because they were around. We didn't play. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so and because they're good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I thought it would be good to do um, is for you to get a flavour of each of the writers and also kind of get an insight into what their relationship with People Tree Press is or how they feel about People Tree Press. So I'm going to introduce um, each individual writer and they are going to just tell us how they feel about People Tree Press and um, give us a small excerpt from a piece of their work. Um, I'm going to start off on this side of the table with Degna Stone. Degna. Hello. You're one of People Tree's writers. Tell us how you feel about People Tree Press. Um, well, I think I'm probably the, the newest um, writer in that this um, pamphlet that I'm holding has only very recently been published in the past few days. But I've been, um, I think People Tree through their Inscribe programme have been supporting me for a good few years. Um, they've been really instrumental in um, in my levelling up as a poet, I think, through mentoring and through all the opportunities that come, come through. So, yes, they have a, a special place in my heart. And um, can you tell us the name of the pamphlet that you're holding in your hand, fresh off the press? Um, it's called Handling Stolen Goods. Are you going to read us something from it? Oh, I will. I will. <laughs> um, I'll read um, a poem called The Crows. The crows are eating a carcass I won't recognise as a fox cub until my car is almost upon it. I'm not sure that they'll shift, but I've never seen a crow splattered across the road, its brethren flying down to peck at its remains burst open by traffic. Maybe that's why they take their time, why they're so bold. They can't die. I want to be as black as the crows, to grow my face as hard as theirs, sharpen my beak on the bones of the dead, be unafraid. Mm. Mm. You can clap, you know. <laughs> you can hear the poets making the noise, the mmm noise, as the poem just eases like oil over them. Thank you, Degna. Um, next up, we'll have um, Desiree Reynolds. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Tell me about People Tree, your relationship, or some thoughts about being part of this wonderful um, 
Publish now. Um, I've been, People Tree and I have had a relationship for quite a long time. Um, they kind of brought me up in a way. Um, I came here with loads of papers, nothing in any order whatsoever, and flung them at Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was like, okay, sit down, let's just work this out. Um, and I wouldn't be the writer that I am without them. <laughs> and um, can you read us something? Tell us what you're reading and read us just next it. Well, okay. So you could, if, if you hear paper shuffling, it's because I couldn't decide what to read because the proverbial like, read this, read this, read that. Um, so I have a new story, which is always nerve-wracking when it's new. Um, uh, coming uh, from a collection of short stories that hopefully, if I beg loud enough, Jeremy will publish at some point. Ooh, hinting going on here, Jeremy. It's not even a hint, is it? It's just blatant baking. Um, so I'm going to read um, uh, part of a story called Sun Up, Sun Down. I didn't hear about my mother's death right away. The information seemed to stop short of me and wandered aimlessly to other people first, as if it picked out who was the most important or relevant or who would be most affected by the news. I was low on the list. I was in bed with a man. That night, as usual, I dreamed about Saatchi and I was in a cage and naked with only hands to cover me. I was looking through the bars at the staring faces that didn't look at me, but over and around me, whispering to each other. And then I was a white man looking at her body, at the creases and seams and dark shadows and light patches. Just the body, not the face. The cage began to shrink, but she didn't. My eyes tore open in shock, but the images were already fading, and I didn't know why my heart was racing. He was still sleeping. Locks spread across the pillows, and the sun was coming up, just making the room that scary blue, and I wanted to cry. Mm, this story yeah. sounds like pure bacchanal. Boy, <laughs> listen. So we have to wait. Now. You give us the, the, the little bit of story, and we have to wait to find out the bacchanal. Yes. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Desiree. Um, we come now to Seni Senavratni. Seni, tell Hi. us about your relationship with People Tree. Bacchanal in the Savannah. Yeah. <laughs> My relationship with People Tree. Yeah, I was first published by People Tree in 2007, and um, I was, I, I think the way of describing it is that maybe they saved me from obscurity or something because I, I was, uh, by today's standards, I guess I was quite old to have my first collection out, and I was really pleased that they're based in Leeds because it's where I was born. And what I really, the most important thing for me about People Tree is the way they respect their writers. Because mm. I know from talking to other writers that not all publishers do respect their writers. And I really feel like we're valued as writers and we're given all the support we need, but we're really, our work and our relationship with our work is really respected. And that goes for the words, it goes for the cover design that Hannah does. It's, you know, you, f you feel like uh, it's not taken away from you by the publishers. So that feels really important to me. Like it's a special thing about People Tree. Mm -hmm. It's good. And you're another hot off the press lookout for this. I've been hearing so much exciting things about this collection. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Thank so you. I think I'm more exciting than anybody to be hearing 
something from okay. this collection. So this is going to be my third collection with People Tree and it's called Unknown Soldier. And uh, uh, it's inspired by my dad's experience in the Second World War. And this poem is called Some Maps. Some maps tell us nothing about the lies of the land or how straight lines came to be drawn in places where once contours marked out borders so that the land and its people curved into each other like sleeping lovers. No maps to speak of when he gave me his hands, which were turning grey over the brown, the way his hair had gone grey and thinner, the way he got thinner, and by then I'd given up on wishing for more. Some borders tell us nothing about the lives risking the sea as crossing points, in boats with no lists and no names for those who've spilled out of them, desperate enough to sink their savings to purchase the privilege of drowning. No borders to speak of, though his worrying hands seemed to be tapping out coded messages from a desert war, where the forward lines moved back and forth, as if a hand of God was drawing them in the sand. Oh, thank oh. you so much. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Jacqueline Bishop, how you doing? I'm good. It's good how to be finding, here. Yes, how are you finding England? <coughs> <laughs> Should I talk about the food? <laughs> We've been having long conversations in here Should about Should I talk the about the food? food? <laughs> I actually like London a lot. Yeah. Good. Um, Good. And you are um, here from the US where you reside and originally from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. So you're like new to the London sounds and everything. Very new. I've never spent so much time in London before. I visited, but it, it was always for like a week or something like that. This is the longest time I've ever spent in the UK. People treat international, you know. So, um, Jacqueline, tell us about your relationship with People Tree. So, I I actually discovered People Tree when I was an undergrad, um, and uh, was taking literature courses. I I spent a year in France um, at the University of Paris, and I was reading through all sorts of literature and found, believe it or not, a collection by Hazel Campbell. Um, in a bookstore in Paris and um, I bought it and I enjoyed it and I thought wow you know um, this was when I was thinking to become a writer myself I would love to be published by this publisher um, and so I when I went to grad school and got that first collection and that first novel ready um, People Tree was the, the most obvious choice in my mind so I was happy when I got the acceptance Mm, great. And so you're going to read something for us. Can you tell us what you're going to read? I'm going to read uh, from The Gymnast and Other Positions, which is stories, essays, and interviews published by People Tree. Now, I'm going to read a very short one paragraph thing um, from a story called Soliloquy. Um, and, you know, as is often the case, my stories are based a little bit in fact. Um, and this is a man who. Um, saw a story of uh, he's reading the um, the death columns in the Jamaica Gleaner and he sees this woman he's been following the story of this woman who's trying to find her husband who turns out dead and the love story is so wonderful that he decides he's going to try to woo this woman right so Sister Lorna 
I hear you and Pencil used to play sometimes as if the two of you were children. People looking at you both and shaking their heads and saying, but look these two grown people behaving as if they was children. Well, Sister Lana, when I done follow your story in the newspaper on, and on the radio, I said to myself, that Sister Lana must be a good woman. And for years now, I'm looking for one good woman. I know that it hasn't been that long since Pencil died, Sister Lana, but I couldn't wait and I decided to write you this letter. I don't know if you have any plans to see anybody. And like I say, it's a little bit early, but I put in my word early, Sister Lana, because believe me when I say I'm looking for a woman just like you. Yeah. <laughs> wow, pick up line in a letter. <laughs> Find your woman. I know she's a good woman to follow in the death news. You know you want to read the rest of that book. Okay, um, on to Nick McCoa. Um, Nick. Yes. Tell us, you and People Tree, how it come about. Naturally. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, well, one of my mentors is uh, Kwame Doors and um, his poem, Progeny of Air, I think is pro a cornerstone to many writers. And um, um, I trust Kwame's judgment. So pretty much through my life, he's just given me um, words of wisdom. And one of the words of wisdom, I can't lie, was just like, you know, you can go anywhere, but we want you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, just, you know, so, um, and and I remember meeting with uh, Jeremy at a festival. I can't remember the festival, but we were having dinner after a reading. And I could tell he had read my work and he was very interested in, in not just me as a writer, but particular poems. And from what I've gleaned from how he works with other writers, he's interested in the context of the work. It's not just good poetry. It's where is this where where is this poetry happening in the world? What is it doing? And uh, we actually edited um, the manuscript in this room, and it was probably I mean writing a, a, a manuscript is is hard, but the most enjoyable part was actually editing it with him, like giving what I thought were my best poems, and then seeing him helped me work to make them even better and help them sing and uh, gave me a lot of confidence not just in people tree but also in myself as a writer good and we're going to hear you read something um what are you going to read i'm going to read from uh, the collection that came out with people tree my first collection called kingdom of gravity the poem is called king of myth it's uh, based in uganda around the Idi Amin regime it's about the death of a rebel leader Back when you were, oh, it's called King of Myth. <laughs> Back when you were taken from our lives like the Son of God ascending into heaven, at the barricade to another life, policemen on their motorbikes named you King of Myth. You danced to toss grenades, all part of the charade in their fire ritual. In a restless air, we surrendered our weapons axe heads, shanks, short rope, blades, some poison, and all its animal understanding, now fair game to the enemy with our world and their scope. They came down hills during the blackout, phantoms from a fallen sky, with years of practice at soft landings onto rooftops in darkness, like a spirit slipping into skin. The voice of their guns kept the violence from escaping. The disturbance in the trees is easily mistaken for wind. Honey, I'm still free. Take a chance on me as a radio sings.
Thank you, Nick. Thank you very much. Um, Roger Robinson. Trinidad in the house, right? Yes. Nice, um, nice, nice. <laughs> so, Roger, tell us a bit about you and People Tree. With People Tree, you know, there was a point where Jeremy had said to me, like, look, you got a home at People Tree. And having a home as a writer is a, is, is a quite comforting but important thing. The only thing I can liken it to is, like, when you're starting off on a journey with a book, it's kind of like starting off from a port. But if you don't know where you're going, you're just going. <laughs> but once you have a home where you're going to, you could go the right directions and do what you need to do and negotiate mm. it properly, you know? Mm. And so, and that's what People Tree provides for me, is like a home. So when I, when I, I just finished a book, I started a new book, but like I know I have a home already, you know what I'm saying? So, so that's a good thing. And what's the name of this book? Oh, sorry. The book is called um, A Portable Paradise. It's a new book coming out in July, near mid-July, mid July 11th to be exact. And this is a poem from that book called um, Doppelganger. <clears throat> There's a series of poems about Grenfell in it, and this is one of them. Doppelganger. A week after the building burned, I saw my dead wife. She smiled at me. Right now it's hard for me to tell the living from the dead. My wedding ring is sinking into my swollen finger. There's pressure building there. But I do not want to use soap to slide it off. Even though she is dead, I am still married to her. I see children playing who look like my wife when she was young. I knew my wife when she was young. I wanted to talk to her, this woman, who looked like my wife. I wanted to hold her. But what I really wanted was my wife, who is dead. As I trace my thumb over her silver ring. funny what you're hearing in the in the room as well from everybody is that kind of noise of mm, and appreciation <laughs> that we can't help um the last right in the room is uh the man like anthony joseph um anthony tell us a bit about you and people tree mm. actually i've you know i've been sitting here trying to think what am i what am i going, what am I, what am I going to say you know listening to everyone what i could say is that um what got me here today is actually this guy is Roger. Roger is responsible for a lot of things in my life. I'm sure a lot of other people as well. Um, but I remember a few years ago, actually it was at your launch, the launch for Pepper Seed. I was speaking to Roger and saying, you know, I'm looking for a publisher, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was saying, check salt, man, check salt, check Jeremy and stuff, you know. And he was saying that, I was, I was saying, but why, you know? And Roger said, well, Jeremy's a man that will correct your Creole. You know, I was like, "What?" <laughs> you know, I was like, "You sort of saying, yeah." He goes into the wood you that said deep. So. Me check people, check people tree. Sorry, check yeah, people yeah, tree. Yeah, I said yeah. so. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me um. Anyway, the X. Uh, the, yeah, you can edit that. Yeah. But anyway, so you were saying, yeah, check people tree, and you know, you're saying Jeremy's a man that will go into the work so deep and edit and fix your Creole, and Jeremy True. teaches me things about Creole that I didn't even know. I was like, that's who I want to be published by. You know. Um, so that started me on a process of finishing some work and then presenting it to Jeremy and stuff. And, you know, like a lot of people say, it's, it's a home. It feels very much like a, like a homecoming. I consider myself a Caribbean poet, a Caribbean writer. So it makes sense and it's a, it's a perfect fit to be with, you know, probably the most important Caribbean publisher there is, you know, I think internationally we could say, yeah. you know. So, yeah, it, we, I think we're very lucky to have a 
people tree in the uk you know as a home for caribbean writers you know yeah so that's kind of my experience but i'm kind of new and i mean i've only published one uh, book with people tree and there's another one coming out this year and what's the name of this um the book that's coming out later this year is called the frequency of magic it's a novel yeah it's, it's, it's a novel but i'm not going to read from that today all the writers in the room when he said the title looked at him with like yeah that yeah, it's a, it's a long story. Maybe I'll talk about it later. But no, the piece I'm going to read is um, from a collection of poetry that I've been working on for a few years, which hopefully will come after the novel at some point. This is called House Party, Mont Lambert, 1978. One turntable was all DJ Champ had. The fade was the weight. Two big speaker box for the boom sub and tweeters hung like bees up on vines above the door. Sacred-hearted Jesus. Mr. Clarence dancing to Lord Nelson's night train was the only glimpse we had of him in this motion. Elegant, with his head up and easy, even smiling, holding out his glass of white ways of wimple so it don't roll down back like his Austin Cambridge, simple so down a carinage hill and into the sea, and drown. So he chuck it, put two big stone behind them back, wheel. Those women smoking broadways filterless in the kitchen. Let hard gin and gossip drip from the corners of their mouths. Tante Ursula was young then, strong and long before her stroke. Bosom tough and hair dyed jet black, she had plenty verve. She would stand unsolicited and sing to the room, sing up with her tremulous voice, sing my way or evergreen. Wavering between keys but upwards, she drove into the sweet arc of her highest note. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very, very much. Um, as you can hear from all the writers, so many different voices, so many different experiences, and I think um, that's... That's a testimony to the, you know, the, um, the, you know, the, I don't know what I want to say. It's a testimony to something. You respect, you respect, you respect <laughs> the writers yeah, have room for each other. Yeah, so it's, I suppose it's a testimony to the respect the writers have in the room for each other, but it's a, I think it's a, a testament to people's street distinctiveness and the way they, they can spot writers and, and, and not have just one you know, space that they box people in. They're, they're able to appreciate a variety of writers and voices and experiences. I want to thank everybody, and I'm really looking forward to... Um, I mean, we've just had a sound, but I'm really looking forward to the reading tonight. Um, yeah, thank thank you. you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this fourth episode of New Caribbean Voices. Um, you heard J. Edward Chamberlain speaking about his um, non-fiction book, um, and then you also heard from Degna Stone, Desiree Reynolds, Seni Sekhna-Varakni, Jacqueline Bishop, Nick McCoa, Roger Robinson, Anthony Joseph, and of course Jeremy Poynton. Thank you for listening to New Caribbean Voices, People Tree Press's literary podcast. I'd like to end by thanking our producer, Melody Tryon, the Arts Council of England, and Clarissa Lewis Award for their support. Please look out for future episodes of New Caribbean Voices. I'm Malika Bacon and I'm your presenter.